and welcome, fellow awesomeologists, to Awesomeology. I'm Sue. And I'm Ben. And in this episode, we're going to talk about strategic planning with our special guest and friend, Josh Roberts from the Wisconsin Credit Union League. Welcome, Josh. Round of applause. (laughs) So, Josh, hello. You are the VP of System Collaboration and Development at the League. Can you tell us what that means? What does your job entail? Sure, I'd I'd love to. Thanks for having me today. Um, So my job at the League is a whole bunch of different things. So I oversee our Young Professionals Program. I oversee the Wisconsin Credit Unit Foundation. I uh, take over all of our DEI efforts that we do uh, in-house and with credit unions around the state. But I also help credit unions uh, with some of their operational needs like accounting, uh, back office questions, things like that, and also strategic planning. So just, I mean, you, gosh, you sound like you'd be bored a lot. <laughs> like <laughs> nothing to it's do. It's a lot of twiddling his thumbs. Yeah. Being like, gosh, I hope somebody needs me. <laughs> so Josh, on our last episode, we set the stage a little bit by encouraging people to create, refine, or really just get back in touch with their organization's core values before they start strategic planning. So now that we have you, a bona fide expert here with us, what are your thoughts on that little bit of advice we gave? I don't know if I go as far as saying bona fide expert, but I can certainly uh, <laughs> share a couple tidbits that I've seen that are that are helpful for that. So what a great point to you know, get in touch with your, your core values, your mission, your vision. Um, you know, it's important for credit unions to realize who they are before they start taking on a lot of tasks and a lot of, uh, you know, things that they want to do in the future. If it doesn't fit into the mission or the culture of the organization, it's probably not going to be very effective or it's not going to work for their members or they're going to have a hard time getting buy-in from their staff or their board on some of those initiatives. So when you set that clear uh, guidance in the beginning, uh, there's no surprises, right? We know who we are, we know what we want to do, and what are the things that we need to do to get to a different place. Well, that, it feels good having a third opinion. I mean, we we felt really good about our opinions when we recorded that episode, but having a having yeah. confirmation yeah. is pretty great. Before you go on, yes. Sue, I just have to I have to give Josh a little bit of praise. This is me sucking up to Josh. Good. Um, No, but seriously, one thing that Josh said (laughs) uh, at the end was to get your organization to a different place, right? And I think that that's one thing that, especially as people are considering things like core values or as they're in the practice of strategic planning or, you know, revisiting their strategic plan, I think sometimes it's important to remember that the purpose of it is to get you to a different place. And that really can be relative to where you are now, where you've been, whatever, right? Like sometimes a different place doesn't mean, um, you know, something huge and audacious that might just mean getting healthy or taking a small step towards whatever is maybe beyond that, you know? And I think it's just really important to keep that all in perspective and bring it all back to the core values thing. Sometimes your core values or your mission might really guide what that different place is and the plan might be the how to get you there. So, cool. Yeah, I would I would absolutely agree. And you know, Ben, different place means different things to everybody, right? Um, you know, maybe it's a group of individuals in your market that's underserved or 
that is a marginalized community, or maybe it's a product or service that you realize that your members need or want, and you're just unfamiliar with it. Those are different places. It doesn't necessarily mean a physical place or altering culture, but uh, just really taking in what serves your members the best. Interesting. So, okay, now I'm, I'm going off script. So now that we, now that you have both talked a little bit about this different place idea, do you think there are organizations that get intimidated about jumping into strategic planning because they say, well, we're not sure we want to be anywhere else. We think, you know, we're healthy. We want to, you know, we're happy with the people we're serving. We, we want to sort of stay in our, in our lane. And so then decide, well, strategic planning isn't for us. We're not going to make an investment in it because we have everything we need. And if so, if your answer is yes, and you are both nodding, even though this is an audio format. <laughs> um, so if that is true, what can you do to get people over that idea of you have to do big, bold, crazy things to make it worth planning? Yeah, I think that you hit it right on the head, Sue. You know, every organization has uh, different strengths and different weaknesses. Uh, some organizations are awesome at mortgage lending. Some are really good at serving uh, an underserved community. Uh, all those things are very different. That doesn't mean that there's not room for improvement on those items or that there are other things that the credit union can be doing to get more depth and breadth in that area. So if you are, let's say, serving the Hispanic and Latinx community in, in your respective town, uh, what are the other things that that group needs or wants? Is there an opportunity to discuss retirement benefits with some of those individuals? Uh, is there a way to encourage financial education with youth in those areas? Um, you know, some of those might seem like really broad, sweeping things, but, you know, strategic planning is also honing your craft. It's not just what's that next goal or, or that audacious goal, but how to be better going forward and how to keep growing. Okay, so strategic planning is also sharpening the blade, right? right? Okay. Speaking like a bona fide expert there, Josh, just saying. We see your bona fides. <laughs> okay, so another thing, Josh, that Ben and I believe really strongly in, even if we can admittedly, uh, we can admit that we don't practice it perfectly in real life, is to come prepared with data when you're going to plan. So I have a two-part question, and this is actually, this is both of you can chime in here. What are some examples of data a business leader should think about bringing? into strategic planning? So that's the million dollar question, right? Um, I am a data nerd. So I feel that the more pieces of information I can have will help me uh, make better choices in the long run, or maybe just give me something to talk about at a cocktail party. I don't know. But either way you cut it, it's helpful to have the data that supports either what you want to do or what maybe you don't want to do. Uh, so business leaders, especially in a strategic planning session, if they're really enthusiastic about something new that they want to do or something that might be uh, a little bold for the organization, 
they should come armed with some of that data. So if they're saying things like, we need to update our website and we just did it six months ago, but boy, we sure need to do it again. Well, why do we need to do that again? Um, well, I heard somebody complain about it once. Well, that's not really data, right? But if you have your poor call center folks sitting on the phone every single day hearing about this issue, that's really valuable information. And that's something that's not subjective. It's, it's obvious. You can support that information. So coming armed with something before we even talk about it is really helpful, but also just understanding what the bandwidth is of the organization too. Uh, knowing some of those simple tasks or some of those simple data points rather, uh, what is the asset size of the credit union? What are your ratios? What do those look like? What's your delinquency? What's your loan to share? Uh, those can be really helpful tools also in a lot of decision-making. Yeah, if I can just add, I think Please. that another um, thing to maybe challenge yourself with, and maybe a facilitator will ask this of you even, um, especially if there's some feeling before you even go into planning of maybe a direction you want to go. You know, Josh gave the um, creating a new website example. Is there any data out there that might contradict what you think should happen and actually actively going out and looking for that because it's really easy for us to decide I want this new thing website whatever it might be and to go and find all the data that supports that thing that I want to do but is there something out there that tells me maybe not maybe not right now or maybe just not yet um, and you know if the thing that you want to do is true and real maybe you won't find any but at least you've looked and you can feel good about what you went into planning with. That's a, that's a really good point to look. And I, I think all throughout our lives, we do not look for the contrary information. We look for confirmation mm -hmm. of what we believe. And, uh, you know, to the data nerd's point over here, <laughs> if, you, if you bring numbers, num numbers, you know, analysis can be biased. Numbers can't be biased. Numbers are numbers. So if you, if you bring real and true numbers into something, I mean, maybe then you can start to debate what is the analysis of those numbers? What do those numbers mean to me versus what they mean to you? Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, especially if you, if you have a thing we haven't talked about, you know, if you have started to um, benchmark things already, so you can say, well, here's where we were last year. This is what we accomplished this year those numbers aren't going to lie. And then you, then you have to, I guess, work out what we attribute to those accomplishments, yeah. which is a whole other big thing <laughs> to talk about. Maybe we should save that for a different episode. Yeah, yeah. probably. Yeah. <laughs> probably. So what, if anything, do you see groups routine, routinely or routinely uh, forget when they are coming into planning, not think about numbers they don't think about, um, or you know maybe even we can open this up to preconceived notions that people have that, you know, maybe for example, one I have personally witnessed is that exactly what Josh points out, which is I came in with anecdotal evidence from one to three people that say this thing, and so that's the data I'm bringing. Right. So what, what are some other examples of things people forget? Yeah, absolutely. There are there are several things I think people forget. Uh, one is 
that we're adding more layers to our organization and strategic planning. This is creating more work and we're doing more and we've got to do more. We've got to grow and we've got to be bigger. Uh, strat good strategy also considers the things that maybe are not working. Maybe it's time that we twilight a service that's run its course. Uh, maybe it's outdated. Maybe it's something that uh, costs the organization a lot of money. Those are really important conversations to have also. So um, there's also the other side and it's the human capital side is we can come up with a, a thousand great ideas, right? And we can make ourselves the best organization in the entire world with the latest and greatest of everything. But if there aren't enough individuals that are there to help with that and to be part of that decision-making and that process, you're gonna get burnout. It's not gonna be done well. It's going to take too long. It might cost too much money. So really being realistic about strategy is also very important in this process. Now, I would imagine, especially, you know, you used the word bandwidth before, Josh. I imagine that a lot of organizations bump up against this idea of not considering bandwidth. Then the initiatives that they, you know, that they come up with might be great ideas, it might be the right time, it might be the right place, but they don't have the bandwidth to deploy them. And it starts to really color their opinion of the value of strategic planning, the value of that ideation process, because you, they can't come out of something with a finished product. Absolutely. Not and all I that I've seen that happen. <laughs> <laughs> I think along with that comes uh, a gentle reminder that I share with groups before we kick off a lot of discussion in, in putting concrete plans down. Ultimately, your goal shouldn't change, but maybe the, the uh, path that we take to get to the goal is what needs to change. So if you decide that, you know, we want to be uh, the, the biggest used auto lender in our market, and we wanna do it within two years, but we realize that the steps to get there just really aren't there, or maybe we need to have uh, different talent that's helping us with that. It's okay to extend that and to be realistic with yourself and say, we need to add another three months to this goal and we need to get rid of this line item in order to achieve that goal. Um, you know, the Craigeners made it a goal because it's important to them. That doesn't mean that the little details to get to that goal are necessarily as important. Those should be changed, not the end result. Love it. So Sound it. before we get, I, I need, I need more. I need more <laughs> here. Speaking of little details and goals, have, has anyone present experienced an organization that has come out of strategic planning with goals but no steps to get to them. Yeah, yeah, that's, and that's a real danger uh, to your point earlier, Sue, is that if you're not creating those steps and getting all the interested parties on board and creating some accountability and some project management, you're not going to get anywhere. You know, one of the, uh, I, I guess it's, it's, one of the, the, the job hazards that I have as a facilitator is that they would expect that I'm going to help them with this line by line project management. 
Well, that's not really my, my point of being there. My point is to think a little bigger, to come up with some of the ideas. Let's, let's do some analysis and, and see if this makes sense for the organization. But you all know your teammates and colleagues better than I do. And the bandwidth to that, that point again of what your organization can or cannot do and what is a realistic time frame. So uh, yeah, there is a lot of risk in not getting that right. And if it's not done right, you know, people become irritated with each other and the project might wane or falter and it's, it's not going to see either the completion you want it to have or any completion, which is ultimately the worst case scenario. So Josh, you mentioned, um, you, you kind of hinted at a little bit about the role of what a facilitator is. A lot of times groups will hire out uh, someone to facilitate their strategic planning session. What would you say is the, the key aspects of that role of an outside facilitator in strategic planning? So something that I, I enjoy doing in my personal life that I can do a little bit in my professional life is play devil's advocate on some of this. <laughs> and, uh, you know, my job is to help groups think a little bit differently. I'm not so close to an organization's uh, daily operations as the folks in that room might be, whether they're management teams or board members or, or, or staff members. And I can ask some of those probing questions where, um, you know, if you're doing the same routine day in and day out, and it becomes second nature, you might not think that some of those aspects are important. So uh, I, I can give you a, a hundred examples of that, but, but some that stick in my mind are when I chat with groups ahead of time and they use some acronyms. And if I see the same acronym coming up as a pain point for everybody, that gives me a little opportunity to unpack, well, what is this program? Why is this so irritating to everybody? Why do you not like it? Or why do you love it? Let's talk a little bit more about that. How can we improve on that? Um, those are conversations that I think don't organically happen within the four walls of a, of a credit union uh, because it's their life. They live it and they breathe it and they see it. So I love that I can help ask some of those probing questions, but I think that we can also dig a little deeper uh, and I can also really encourage candor with the group. And that's also very important. If you have an ensemble of a dozen people sitting in a room and they really care about strategy. Um, hearing their passion for a project or uh, their passion against a project is, is very important uh, because they, they've got a vested interest in what's going on as well. Yeah. So sidebar for a sec here. I, I think that the role of devil's advocate is really important. And knowing you um, as much as I do, uh, I can see how you would just crush and be so good at the role of devil's advocate, just saying. But um, how, do, how do you check that as well while you're in with a group? Because uh, I could totally see a group, maybe especially one that's maybe in a, a little bit of a state of vulnerability. Maybe they're feeling the pain and they just want to get to whatever that next place is at any cost. So it's like, oh, whatever Josh suggests we're doing, right? So like maybe you're just 
playing devil's advocate on something, but they're really taking it as like, hey, this person that we hired is throwing this idea out there saying that this is a thing that we should do. Like, how do you as a facilitator kind of balance both that devil's advocate and also not necessarily steering people to just, you know, you playing devil's advocate, right? Right, right. Absolutely. That's a great point, Ben. You know, I'm not going to come to a credit union or an organization and tell them, I have all the answers and I want every credit union to do A, B, and C and get rid of X, Y, and Z. That is, I think that's really disingenuous of a facilitator to assume that they know what's best for your organization. We're all in this journey together. So if your facilitator can't read the room, and understand that, you know what, we're touching a third rail here. We need to stop talking about this. We need to back up from this conversation. It might be a little too sensitive. It might be emotionally charged. Um, that's okay. You know, that, that to me as a facilitator shows that the folks in that room are so passionate about their organization that they really want to unpack whatever is going on and see why or why not something will work. The other thing a good facilitator does is they know that organization before they step into that room. So they've had conversations with the interested parties, whether that's the president of the credit union, whether it's the chairman of the board of directors, uh, they survey the group, they research that information, they look at trends from the organization. Something I like to do is I like to snoop around their website a little bit, see if I can get any uh, uh, little hints of, of what their engagement is with the community, with their membership, all that good stuff. So a good facilitator does some homework and also knows when he or she needs to back down and, you know, let, let the uh, conversation go the way it's supposed to go. So how can a small business or credit union be sure that they're getting the best investment for their dollar if they hire a facilitator? Well, I think that they need to know what those expectations are. You know, both sides have an expectation from each other. Um, if you're getting an outside facilitator, uh, there should be an expectation that there's some uh, takeaways, some tangible things that come out of that meeting, whether it is pre-work, uh, work during the strategy session, or some sort of post-work, whatever that document is that, that uh, highlights what you've covered during that strategy session, that should all be happening. Additionally, there is a bit of an onus on that, uh, that business or that credit union to say, all right, we've invested this time and talent and treasure into this strategy session. Our responsibility is to do something with it. So uh, a strategy should never sit on a shelf and gather dust. It should be done uh, so that the credit union has a strategy that it should be part of your business plan. It's something that you're doing um, not for the sake of checking a box with an examiner or an auditor, but rather for uh, creating growth opportunities and serving the membership. Ultimately, you wanna be serving the membership all the time. So if those things are not being hit, uh, I, I would argue that that's probably not a good fit. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's interesting, the similarities, I think, between strategic planning and training and education, because it's, it's a really similar, you know, coming from organizational training, it's exactly what you're saying. We can give you the information, we can give you tools, you know, that you can access that information once you walk out of the room, but if you don't do anything with it, 
then, you know, your chances of success are very small. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and outlining what that expectation is ahead of time, I think helps, right? A teacher gives you a syllabus at the beginning of the year. That is holding that educator accountable for what he or she is going to teach you for that, that academic season, right? Um, that also shifts some of the responsibility to the student that I need to do A, B, and C also. So one of the things I try to do is to highlight that and saying, this is what I want us to get out of this session. And now it becomes collaborative. These are the things that we're going to do together and, and where we're going to go. So now let's talk about smaller organizations, people who cannot, people who can't afford a uh, gentleman with your uh, vast experience. I'm just going to keep building that. Oh, brother. Even higher, <laughs> incredible expertise. Your mind blowing. I, I, okay, I'll stop. Uh, so there are a lot of small organizations and, you know, with, through, through the work we do at the CUSO, we, we meet a lot of like one and two person shops, family shops, you know, that would benefit from understanding strategy, doing a lot of the same kind of strategic planning, but it is way like that is a 10 year goal to have enough money and enough people to do strategic planning. So can those small shops still succeed? in doing strategic planning without making that kind of investment right away? Yeah, absolutely. They, they 100% can. Um, you know, I'll, I'll put out a little plug for the league system in the United States, the credit union league system. Um, several leagues still offer strategic planning similar to Wisconsin, and they work with all those small shops. That's their bread and butter, right? They're really the boots on the ground. They're the people that are still in the mines and, and building that organization. So, uh, and, and like I said, I'll speak on behalf of our league, we work with those really small credit unions to make sure that if they're interested in something like that, it can either be affordable or it could be sponsored or, or some way to show that we value that they need the same benefits, right? Um, so we have done strategic planning for credit unions right around the million dollar asset mark. And those are really, really small shops. To your point, to one or two folks, and they still have the, the church basement open on Sunday afternoons, you know, for their membership. And that's terrific. The fact that they're thinking about doing that is awesome. Now, the other side of that is they might not have the time for something like that also. So it's not just the treasure, but it's also the time commitment. Um, whether or not they hire a facilitator, they should still be talking about strategy every single year. Create those reasonable, uh, achievable kinds of goals. And if they have hired a facilitator in the past, recycle that document. Keep using that same format going forward and meet as a group and get your board engaged. And at those really small credit unions, what a great opportunity to get that staff engaged and those volunteers engaged. So. Um, I, I guess I come from a place that there's always room for strategy and, uh, your league system is always there to help out or at least point you in the right direction. I also know that there are individuals that, that do this as a career that do uh, strategic planning is really their full-time job. A lot of those people too, they love helping out those little, little credit unions or the ones that are financially constrained 
to help them really get back on track and start thinking about their future. So you've done plenty of planning with credit unions and other organizations. How can strategic planning go wrong? And maybe what are some of the pitfalls or just downright mistakes that uh, people would want to avoid? Yeah, I think uh, as with anything, there's there's always a pitfall, right? Um, <laughs> there is, there's nothing that I think gets my goat more than a group that will hire for a strategic plan or a, a strategic planning session rather, and they don't do anything with their plan. And then a year later, they want me to come back and facilitate. And because I've already built that rapport with them, I want to go through where they stand. How was your last year? How were your last two years? How were your last three years? Have we achieved these goals? You know, maybe do we, do we need to think about punting them out a little? And, you know, you get that look from the audience, like you have a horn growing out of your head and they have no idea what you're talking about. Um, you know, that plan should still be done going forward, right? We should still be able to extract things from that prior year's plan, add it to the future plan, put those updates in and see that we're moving in the right direction. So that's a huge pitfall, not doing anything with planning and then expecting it to all be a-okay a year later or two years later. Um, I think that the other side of the coin is having way too many goals. There are some credit unions that will say, well, you know, we hired this person a few years ago to write this five to 10 year strategic goal or strategic plan rather, and they gave us 27 goals and we're all sweaty and crying and upset, but boy, oh, we boy. achieved all of them. Well, did you do them well? And was the burnout worth it? So that's also a really big pitfall because that is not strategic. That's treading water. And um, nobody likes to feel that overwhelmed all the time. So being realistic is also uh, a really important component of, of planning. Love it. Is there an ideal, ideal-ish length a strategic plan should be? I mean, you mentioned five to 10 years. I can't imagine a 10-year strategic plan. That hurts my heart. But is there, you know, somewhere that's kind of a sweet spot if somebody were to come to you and say, we haven't done it before, what do you think that time frame should look like? What would... Yeah, I think it varies, right? It varies by the capacity of the group. Uh, and it also varies by facilitator. So I, I will put a caveat on this that my opinions are my opinions and not that of all the other strategic planners in the world. But <laughs> I really do not like going more than 36 months. And we have a lot of instances in recent history where anything over 36 months it feels like a, a piece of fiction, right? So the plans that credit unions created in October of 2019, I guarantee were very different in April of 20. Uh, or the plans- and wait, that, just before, before you go on, Josh, why, why do you think this changed? <laughs> well, you know, there were some people that had been a little ill, I think. Oh, oh, <laughs> I, hadn't, I hadn't heard. <laughs> This that, is new to that me. That might be a different podcast for a different time, right? Yeah, we've um, literally just been in this basement the whole yeah. time. So, <laughs> <laughs> which is ironic because I've also been in this office at my home that entire time as well. <laughs> um, 
The other so, example I like to give are the strategic plans that people put together in late 2007 were very, very different in 08 and 09 after the Great Recession. So um, what I do like about having two events in recent memory is that we can use that as a reminder to ourselves to not get too carried away with really, really, really long, unachievable plans. But the other thing it's a good example of is that we're agile. And there are many, many credit unions that I have talked to all over the state of Wisconsin, all over the country, some of my peers at other leagues that have said uh, it was really remarkable and really inspiring to see that credit unions have put together a good plan in 19, felt comfortable enough with how their operations were run that they were just able to say, you know what, these are all still really important. We're just going to add a year on the back end of all of these. And we're going to plug along and we're going to keep doing what we're doing. That's awesome. That's the update to your strategy. So um, yeah, I long story short, I don't like plans that go real long. Uh, 10 years, boy, whew, that's a long ways away. <laughs> yeah, good advice. Um, yeah, it's uh, kind of bringing it back to uh, what you said towards the beginning. You know, those goals are the goals and they're where they might be two years out, three years out, whatever the timing was, but the steps along the way are really those flexible things and your opportunity to be agile. So some of the examples you just gave, I think are great. Maybe there was a goal that you had in your plan that was, I don't know, for some reason, super dependent on human touch or breathing in close proximity. I guess, yeah, that goal maybe needs to go away. Maybe not that one. Yeah. The credit unions that said, we'll give every member a hug and a kiss when they walk through the <laughs> right. door. Yeah. That one changed. I knew that one was bad. I it's said it the whole not, time. It's it wasn't just, a good idea. But we, I'm, well, we I'm a hugger, but. Yeah, we assumed you just didn't want to do it, but. <laughs> Okay, final question, and this is for the whole group, which is both of you, um, and I guess me. What is your elevator pitch to get organizations to do thoughtful, well-planned, and useful strategic planning? I see Ben shaking his head. I think he should go first. Okay, sure. I'll go first. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's... I, disclaimer ahead of what I'm going to say, super cliche, but without a plan, you don't know where you're going, right? And it's just that simple. I think, you know, the a plan to give you that direction to maybe bring you back to center or to focus, because I mean, we all know, like, and we've all probably felt that you do strategic planning, you're inspired, you're ready to work on these goals you set, whatever. And then Monday happens, you know, and you're like, oh, shoot, well, back to reality into the 10 things I have to do this week. And it's super easy to lose sight of all that great work, all that great discussion, everything that you just had. So, um, you know, that plan can just really help, if anything, serve as a tool to just bring you back to center and keep your eye on the prize. You know, let me think of four other cliche things. Yeah. But, um, yeah, but I, I do think it's really important and something that I think doesn't get enough credit for what a, what a plan can be and really is, you know, similar, uh, to something we talked about earlier too. Um, that plan does not, I mean, sure, it could be this huge source for motivation and have some big dreamy goals and stuff. Um, but um, it also can be super simple. 
it can really be simple and just keep you focused on the near future. And um, sometimes an organization, that's what they need is that easy win, that next step to really feel like they've accomplished something. So from the Department of Cliches, I will actually, I will quote a French author. Wow. <laughs> so the, the author of The Little Prince or La Petite Prince that some of you may have read in high school, um, Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, he said a goal without a plan is just a dream. And you know, that sounds real lofty and, and literary, right? But it's super true. Um, if you don't put down your, uh, your action plan and your steps and what you're going to do to get there, it is just a dream. You know, everybody says, oh, wouldn't it be nice if we could do A, B, and C? Well, how are you going to do it? Let's actually put pen to paper and let's think about it. And let's actually do it. So um, one other thing that I think strategic plans do a great job of is also highlighting um, your shining stars at your organization. You know, we talk constantly about succession planning and who's going to be the next president or vice president or chief lending officer. When you have a really good strategic plan and you have a bottom up all the way from your newest employee, all the way through your board of directors, and you've got everybody engaged, you'll see the cream rise to the top. You'll see the folks that are super excited to pitch in super excited to share ideas, uh, troubleshoot, all the, all the good stuff that comes with, with new products and services and, and new ideas and brainstorming. And um, that's, that's really an excellent way to build enthusiasm. Uh, I think everybody just feels like they're part of a bigger team when that happens. Uh, and that's not necessarily for everybody, but the folks that really are enthusiastic about that, they will let it shine. In a, in a good strategic plan, especially a bottom-up strategic plan. Do you need any other European author quotes? I'm sure I could dig I, one up. You, you just have some that you can maybe save them for later or Perhaps. if you wanted to like annoy people in other meetings with them. You can. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you want to do. I mean, we don't want to use them up. Fair enough. So I, let, me, let me tag on one thing and um, even... I think you both make really excellent points. Um, I did spend a little time while you were both talking, thinking about the fact that these were all elevator pitches and all three of us were in an elevator pitching to the same person. A lot of pressure on that one person in the elevator with us. But, the longest elevator ride in the world, too. Yeah, right? yeah real painful. But <laughs> uh, I think having, you know, when I have participated in strategic planning, it, it, I experience it as the one time that group of people are going to get together and talk the way that they're talking in strategic planning in the entire year. This is, you know, literally the time everyone's going to be in the room and you're going to be able to hear, uh, you're going to hear things on this even playing field without silos. And um, ideally, that also means that's going to be a very open and honest and caring group. To, and that, you know, we are so busy to your point about, you know, getting back and tasking and all of those things. We're so busy with that. But to bring a group together and really talk strategy, it, you know, if it did nothing else, which good heavens, we hope it does something else. But if it did nothing else, it creates conversations that can last all year long. 
Absolutely. And it should also be, to your point, a safe space. Uh, those are places where you can get into the nitty gritty and still have respectful dialogues with your peers. Uh, it's really a, if you've ever been in a very good strategic planning, you feel uplifted after it. You should feel excited and enthusiastic. Uh, and that's, that's really the best feeling. Well, this has been awesome, um, but we do have to transition to our something awesome segment at the end of the show. Yes. And I'm going to totally own it and admit that I came 100% unprepared it's with true. something awesome it's today. True. But shocking. A blessing just fell from the sky and fell right in my lap today, and <laughs> that the FDA approved the Pfizer vaccine. So. Yes. yes. Clap the hands. That is good news. Uh, hopefully it helps move the needle in the right direction. Uh, we're all in this thing together, folks. Go get vaccinated. And Josh can finally leave his home office. Yeah. Please. Yeah. Although I have to say, now he's using, he's using a background today, but I have seen his home office. And for someone with attention deficit problems it is delicious it does look pretty cozy it is delicious to me (laughs) to look at the stuff oh there we go yeah Yeah. i love it so much and it's very hard to talk to josh when i can see his office because i'm like just could you just (laughs) you know he did pitch reading us some books books and a party yeah Yeah. love it love his office it unlike unlike mine which looks like a murder hallway That, uh, I knew there was something at the end of your hallway. It was those two twins. That yes, yes. yes. They just want you to come play with them, Ben. That's they all do. That I don't want to. I'm scared. Yeah, and I just saw, to tag on, this is not mine, but to tag on to yours, I just saw that the state of Wisconsin is going to start offering a $100 incentive nice. to anyone getting vaccinated, anyone 12 and over. Are they backdating that? Cause... No, they're <laughs> not. They're not. You, but that's fine. You got to not get sick. The end, you know, <laughs> worth more than 100. Right. Okay. <laughs> so you, would you like, what do you have? Why don't you just take that stack of books, Josh, and start holding <laughs> them <laughs> so, so I will preface this by saying that the one thing that the pandemic has been great for is I had fallen out of reading for quite some time. And I realized that very unhealthy habits can start when you're sequestered to your home, such as TikToking and being <laughs> sucked into that vortex of, you know, just not blinking and looking at your phone for two and a half hours straight. So uh, the new rule at the Roberts house is that we spend time before bedtime reading. Nice. So I uh, also try to make it a goal that for every two fiction, I read a nonfiction. And some of these I've read in the last year others are just like classical favorites of mine but they're all nonfiction books and I think that they're all really helpful for credit union folks because they build empathy and they make you think a little bit differently about the people that we serve so the first one is a book evicted by Matthew Desmond it's been out for a few years uh it takes place actually in the city of Milwaukee but it truly is speaking about the eviction epidemic in really any large city in the country Uh, The second one is Decolonizing Wealth by Edgar Villanueva. Uh, Edgar is uh, a member of an indigenous nation. 
text and he talks about how we should be thinking differently about how wealth is spread and how it is uh, shared kind of outside of foundations, if you will. Uh, and the third one is The Address Book by uh, Deirdre Mast. And for a nonfiction heavy read, it was actually kind of funny, which was great. But it talked about how empowering having an actual address is for people. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, getting services, how to call for an ambulance, how to call for fire service, how to apply for a loan. I mean, all those things really hinge on that and what the world is doing about it. So that was pretty cool. And then, of course, I love the Hidden Brain podcast. Uh, it's an NPR podcast. I learned so much every single time I listen to it. Um, and then one of my favorite nerd history podcasts that came out in the last year or so was Bagman. It was a Rachel Maddow podcast about the rise and fall of Spiro Agnew, Richard Nixon's vice president. Wow. So I think I just made myself sound like a 72-year-old person by <laughs> referencing Spiro Agnew today. That's fine. That's fine. I, well, we noticed they can't see it on the podcast, but we noticed the Spiro Agnew poster on your wall. Right. So... <laughs> So we, we thought maybe. Yeah, we, there. we figured it would come up. <laughs> to that point, I'm going to find one now and make sure there is one hanging. That's a good, that's great. That'll be a great callback yeah. for anyone over the age of 70. That'll be good. <laughs> I, okay, I'm just going to share a quick story about Josh. Uh -oh. A memory that is burned into my brain is being at a conference at, at a no at a session a DEI session with Josh and he was talking to himself as he was preparing to present and I heard him say something about being sent to the who scout and I laughed so hard so I had to say the who scout he's like yes because I'm 75 years old <laughs> so I'm glad to see <laughs> that you have Benjamin buttoned a little bit you're down to 72 now Right, right. It's good. It's good. <laughs> so for our for our listeners who don't know what a hooskow is, jail. and only a jail. Oh, jail. Okay. Yeah. Right. I mean, I knew. I knew but for our listeners, I could tell. By the the brig for our naval friends. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> the hooskow. Okay, so here's mine. I would be uh, I would be remiss as a as I like to bring up frequently my uh, experience and training just because for whatever reason I think it impresses people uh, <laughs> I would be remiss if I didn't talk about creating member loyalty when we're talking about strategic planning I'm uh, and you know fun fact I don't know if you knew this I'm a certified uh, trainer I haven't heard that one yeah before. if you didn't know that Ben uh, <laughs> did you and, hear the rainbow go over the more you yeah, know yeah do 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 um, but they do have a really excellent leadership strategies program that, or that credit unions can uh, be a part of, that they can get trainers to train, and it includes a planning workshop, which we went through the planning workshop one year. It is comprehensive. It is challenging. It is everything that you could hope for to really sort of inject, you know, some adrenaline into your organization and... Um, this is, of course, if you don't want to hire someone like Josh, which I don't know why you wouldn't want to. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I happen to know, and I, 
looked for it, and I will keep looking for it to see if I can find it. Creating member loyalty is a credit union program, but there is a another program that's uh, creating customer loyalty that is the business version of it that apparently is available out there somewhere in the world. So if you're not a credit union and you still want that kind of stuff, there's training available. How can people find out about these great resources, Sue? Gosh, I wish I knew. <laughs> oh, I bet if we added links. Great idea. Either, you know, on the podcast um, and also on our blog. So we will add these links to the Books Josh reference. We'll add uh, links to the Creating Member Loyalty Program and all of the good stuff that we want to share below. And this is your reminder. You'll be able to find those links on your favorite podcast app, or you can visit our blog at exclamationcuso.com slash blog. And not only see those links, but hear all of our episodes. How about that? Josh, thanks so much for being here with us today. We really appreciate it. I couldn't think of a better way to spend an afternoon. It's That's lovely right. spending time with Sue and Ben. Aww. All right. I, I just, I just for, for the record, record, he said, he said my, my name, name first. first. Yeah. Thank yeah, you, well. <laughs> well, let me let, let me take, take this opportunity before we do the final wrap, and I'm going to butter you up a little bit more, Sue. And for anyone who's listening, especially our regular listeners, I just have to give a little extra credit to Sue to say um, thanks for always putting together. If you don't know, Sue always puts together our show outline. She does a lot of homework before every episode to make this thing flow and go really well. She usually books our guests and stuff. So um, I'm just I don't know, kind of here to just, just like show up. You're just somebody yeah. pretty. That yeah, got. I'm the pretty radio face to just yeah, a face chat. for radio. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> but seriously, thank you, Sue, for all the work you do to make the podcast happen. And I hope our listeners appreciate it, too. Well, thank you for saying that. I'm going to keep doing it until you stop me. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, this is Sue and Ben, your certified professors of awesomeology, reminding you that life's awesome if you make it awesome. We'll see you next time.